Yeah, I just want to pick up again where we've been kind of tracking, and Wes, is, the last few weeks, has been talking about establishment and and the uh, Paul's letters to the churches were written specifically with uh, intention, and you can see the core, like over the course of his life, his first letters were um, were targeted at how then shall I live, right? After hearing the gospel, the kerygma proclaimed, how then shall I live, his middle letters, how then shall we live as community, and if anyone has been around us long enough, we know that we're more than just, we say a bunch of good words that tickle our ears, and we come together on Sundays, it's no, what's your life look like throughout the week? What is your, what, how do you do relationship? We can't, we can't live out the New Testament without doing it in community. We will not know. I don't, I don't know anything about anyone unless I do life with them throughout the week. And am I seeing, like, am I sh- displaying the word that Paul taught throughout the week with my brothers and sisters? Or am I just coming in on a Sunday and putting on a smile and saying a lot of good stuff because it's all right here. I don't have to memorize it. It's in here. I can just say it and call it good, right? But you'll never know what's in my heart unless I live life with you throughout the week. So the middle letters were how then shall we live? And then his later pastoral letters were uh, how do we appoint leadership in context of community? And it all looks like family, right? Um, So that's what we believe. And um, that we're a family of God. We've been we've been saved um, into a family, and that's how we're supposed to live as a family. Um, so I, I just want to pick up, and I want to kind of pull out um, something Joe touched on last week in his testimony, just about the humility to be teachable, and um, how that that's true wisdom and maturity. That's what it looks like to be established. Is I want to pull out this piece of humility because you cannot be established. You can't have true wisdom and maturity without that. Um, so I want to just go to Matthew 18. Um, a couple of weeks ago in prayer, this kind of came out. Um, just kind of came into my mind, and we were talking about, you know, we're praying into maturity for the church and stuff. And, and I was like, maturity looks a lot like becoming a child, says Jesus. And I was like, oh, that's what a paradox. I was like, Jesus, in Matthew 18, the disciples are like, who's going to be the greatest? Who's the most mature of us after you leave us wherever you're going? Because we're not understanding what you're saying. When you leave, who's going to be the one that's taken over, right? It's going to be me, right? Puff up my chest a little bit here and there. And, and Jesus is like, <laughs> you got it all wrong. He got it all wrong. He says uh, in Matthew 18, 1 to 4, he says, At that time, like I was saying, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And they're like, Is it going to be me? Is it going to be him? Who's it going to be? And Jesus called a little child and set him before them and said, I assure you and most solemnly say to you, unless you repent, that is, change your inner self, your old way of thinking, live changed lives, read now the Amplified, obviously, and become like children, trusting and humble and forgiving, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever hums, humbles himself like this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. In other words, whoever hums, humbles himself like this little child is the most mature, 
of you. So maturity looks like becoming like a child and welcoming them. I wonder, I'm also going to read the parallel scripture in Luke because it, it's really good also. Um, Luke 9, 48. Luke 9, 48, he says, it's, you know, it's the same thing. An argument started among the disciples as to which one of them w- might be the greatest, surpassing the others in esteem and authority, right? So they're looking for authority, too. And they're arguing amongst themselves, and they're like, man, who's going to be the, oh, I'm going to be the big shot, right? Like, Peter's, like, probably, it's going to be me, guys. Like, I'm never going to deny the Lord, and uh, I'm the coolest, And uh, in verse 48, he says, and he told them, whoever welcomes this child in my name welcomes me, and whoever welcomes me also welcomes him who sent me. For the one who is the least among you all, that is the one who is genuinely humble, the one with a a realistic self-view, he is the one who is truly great. That's so good. The one with the realistic self-view. Are we looking at ourselves and saying, man, I'm, gr- I'm awesome. I'm awesome. And I know the word inside and out. I could quote every scripture there is about the household text. I can quote every, every psalm in there and sing you spontaneous songs, quoting everything from Psalm 1 all through the Proverbs and Ecclesiastes and Song of Solomon. I am the greatest. Puff up my chest a little bit. But Jesus says, uh-uh. The one who has a realistic self-view, that's the one who's the greatest. The one who says, I know that God is holy and I am not. The one that has the realistic self-view and how desperate we need of him. Um, And so he's talking about becoming like children. And he's not necessarily because of purity, innocence, or faith. And, you know, a lot of times, you know, I've read that scripture in the past. I'm like, oh, I just got to be like blind faith like a child, like so innocent and pure and all that. And Jesus is really talking about humility and really the unconcern for social status here. Like children are not concerned at all about their social status among their friends, right? Most of the time, maybe Wes was. I don't know. When she was a kid, she was like running the household at three years old. Just kidding. (laughs) Uh, Just kidding. I know she tells stories about that, so... Yeah, well, but that doesn't mean you are necessarily concerned about your social status in light of the society. So, but yeah, I mean, children, they hoop and they cry and they get into things. They just don't care. They don't pretend to, ha- to have it all together, right? You don't see a child running around like, I poop my pants, and, but I'm, try- I'm trying to hold it together for mom and dad. Like, no, they're, they're a mess, right? They're, he's not making that analogy by by happenstance it's a real thing like they're needy they they don't have it all together they don't pretend to have it all together and we know the maturity and wisdom do not come from age right they do not come from uh, age in the kingdom um, or how long you've been a believer it comes from be- becoming like a child having a self a realistic self-view having humility um, so it w- with that said, being established has a direct relationship with how humble we are. And like Joe was saying last week, like it, with these, with the, the sound doctrine groups we have, it takes a lot of humility as a believer for a long time or whatnot. Joe, I think he said, said like 20 years that he was a believer for. And you come into these, these groups and you get real with one another 
and, you know, starting at the very foundations of what Paul laid out, and you have to be teachable. I, um, you have to be humble in that, in that context to say, all right, like, I, maybe I don't know everything. Let's take a fresh look at this. And uh, I thought of this analogy, actually, today, Jay, and you're going to love this. It's a painting analogy. So it's like when you go, when you're in light of these, like, these groups and, and say you're a believer for, like, 50 years and, you know, like I said, you can quote all the scriptures and everything and, you know, Paul's letters back and front. Um, it's like a wall that's been painted with one coat of paint, right? It looks good from far. You can't see the spots or anything. It looks good, and you're like, oh, no, I'm good. I'm good, but the more you get close, the more you get in relationship with other people, the more you get up close, you're like, oh, no, this probably could use another coat of paint and seal up those areas that you might not see from just face value, but seal up those spots in your life where you may not know, you may not have a correct paradigm of the scriptures that you know back and front in the pages, right? So we got to get close, we got to get in relationship with one another and and find out what we what, what what we believe, and come to the to the correct understanding of what the intention was of of Paul. Um, so yeah, so another definition of humility is, is, and we've all heard this one is not to think less of oneself, but to think of oneself less, which is really quoting John the Baptist. He says, "He must increase, and I must decrease." So I'll credit John the Baptist to that one. Someone just reworded it. Um, he says, he must increase, but I must decrease. And it's not false humility, right? I want to go into this a little bit. We're talking about humility. I want to clarify what false humility is because that is a dangerous road to walk down um, because it, it, it's very sneaky. It's actually pride, but it's very sneaky in the way it looks because it, it looks like of the appearance of humility, but it's really intentionally devaluing ourselves or our contributions in an attempt to look humble, right? It's, it's actually pride. It's exalting our own opinion over God. It's, it's someone giving me a compliment for how awesome I played the drums, and I'm like, oh, no, no, that wasn't that, wasn't that great, man. That was not great. That's, that's false humility, right? That's saying, oh, no, I'm, I'm nothing. Like, someone's trying to give you a compliment. It's pride. It's not, it's not humility. So we need to get that. We need to differentiate between false humility and r- true humility, C.S. Lewis says in Mere Christianity, he says, do not imagine that if you meet a really humble man, he will be what most people call humble nowadays. He will not be a sort of greasy, smarty person who is always telling you that, of course, he is nobody. Probably all you will think about him is that he seemed a cheerful, intelligent chap who, that, who took a real interest in what you said to him. If you do dislike him, it is because you feel a, ner- a little envious of anyone who seems to enjoy life so easily. He will not be thinking about humility. He will not be thinking about himself at all. I love that quote. He's, he's saying that the one who is genuinely humble doesn't think he's humble. So I, I think I'm humble all the time, which is scary. I'm like, I'm pretty humble. But ouch, that's, that's not what... That's not what he's saying there. He's saying that a humble, truly humble person will not think he's humble of them all. He won't think of himself at all. Um, so let's, I also want to turn to uh, James 3. Yeah. 
Anytime I go to James, I'm like, ooh, yes it is. So James is, in the start of uh, chapter 3, he's talking to those who might become leaders and teachers in the church. And that's who we have in our midst, right? We talk a lot about how everyone that's here is a leader. We are the core group of people that are becoming established so that when the harvest comes, when we have new believers, we are the ones that are established. Like, there's no one else. It's us. There's no one else that's coming, and then they're going to be established, and they can take It's like, no, we are the people that must become established in our family to welcome people to become established. And Wes had uh, quoted uh, Reese Howell's book she's been reading, and, and one of the reasons that the Welsh revival kind of fizzled out was because there's not there were not people who were established who could establish other believers. That's why it, it fizzled out. It wasn't because the spirit suddenly left and people stopped falling over on the, on the ground and speaking in tongues. It was because there were not people who were established in their faith, living out the gospel, living out the teaching of Paul, who were then able to teach other people how to live, who were not then able to teach other people sound doctrine, right? And, got, and doctrine is not sound unless you're living it out. That's what we talk about all the time. Um, so James, in three one, he's talking to people who might become teachers. He says, "Not many of you should become teachers, serving in an official teaching capacity, my brothers and sisters. For you know that we who are teachers will be judged by a higher standard, because we have assumed greater accountability and more condemnation if we teach incorrectly." So this is serious. This is to all of us. This is not uh, just an elite group of people. This is. Everyone who has the responsibility of establishing other believers in sound doctrine, that's who he's talking to. He's not talking about specifically, like Joe was saying, the people that are teaching or from the pulpit or whatever. It's not just our responsibility to live a, um, a life above reproach. Like Those are the qualifications for leaders, but... It, that does not mean the rest of us are not to live that way. That's It's a responsibility as a community so that we can establish other people in the faith. That's the goal. Um, so then it goes into uh, verse 13. He starts talking about um, humility here. So it says, Who among you is wise and intelligent? Let This is verse, yeah, chapter 3, verse 13. Who among you is wise and intelligent? Let him by his good conduct show his good deeds with gentleness and humility of true wisdom. So he's saying there that that humility, the fruit of humility and true wisdom and maturity is good conduct. It's our good deeds, right? So we're able to visibly see, and we're talking about good deeds, we're talking about our life. We're not just talking about, I did a good deed here and there, I paid it forward at dunks, so check that off for the day. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking, when you show your good conduct and your good deeds, he's talking about your life, your life uh, displayed in community, how you're loving one another, how you're interacting with one another. So who among you is wise and intelligent? Let him show, let him by his good conduct show his good deeds with the gentleness and humility of true wisdom. And he talks about what, um, false wisdom looks like right here, right? So he says, but 
if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not be arrogant, and as a result, be in defiance of the truth. This is in context of um, talking about wisdom and humility. So this is, this is contrasting. If you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition, do not be arrogant, as, and as a result, be in defiance of the truth. This superficial wisdom is not that which comes from down from above, but is earthly, secular, natural, unspiritual, even demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder, there's unrest, rebellion, and everything in morally degrading practice. Yikes. And then we see him talk about true wisdom in verse 17. He says, but the wisdom from above is first pure, morally and spiritually undefiled, and then peace-loving, courteous and considerate, gentle, reasonable, reasonable, willing to listen, full of compassion, good fruit, is unwavering without self-righteous hypocrisy and self-serving guile. And the seed whose fruit is righteousness, spiritual maturity, and the seed whose fruit is spiritual maturity is sown in peace by those who make peace, by actively encouraging goodwill between individuals. It's about relationship he's talking about there. He's talking about the wisdom of from, from above is reasonable, willing to listen. The, uh, the translation for that word actually means easily persuaded. That doesn't mean we're just easily persuaded into other doctrines, but it means we're we're able to listen, be persuaded by people, what they, yeah, by truth. Um, so, yeah, we must first be humble before being exalted. And how do we know when someone is a mature Christian who is ready to teach and lead in the church? You know it by their good works, by their fruit, because James says so right there. Who among you is wise and intelligent? In other words, who among you is spiritually mature? Let him, by his good conduct, show his good deeds with a gentle, with the gentleness and humility of true wisdom. Um, and we, yeah, we know the book of James is all about real Christians and real faith leading to real fruit. Um, you know, our hearts need to match our works. Uh, it's like, it's like me saying. Again, just another analogy, like I say I, I love one of my friends or whatever, but then I never call them, right? You can't just keep saying, I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you, but then never show it in action. Like we need to display what is coming out of our mouth. Um, and then I want to just go back to James 1, verse 21 through 25 here. I'll kind of close up here. Um so James 1, he says, So get rid of all uncleanliness and all that remains of wickedness, and with a humble spirit receive the word of God, which is implanted and actually rooted in your heart, which is able to save your souls. With a humble spirit receive the word of God. But prove for yourself doers of the word. All that these do these sound doctrine groups are about, all these first principles books are about, we don't care that you have the right answers. We don't care that you know the scriptures. We don't care that you look a certain way when you come to church on Sundays. Are you a doer of what you're learning 
in those classes, in those discussions? Are you taking the word and applying it to your life, which you can only do in community? Like 90% of the, the New Testament teachings you cannot apply when you're by yourself in your house, whatever. You cannot apply it. You have to do it in community. Um, so prove yourself doers of the word, actively and continually obeying God's precepts and not merely listeners who hear the word but fail to internalize its meaning. Meaning, right? And that's one of the things we talked about in series one, I think, is like how do we know when, like what our core convictions are and... I think it, it, it's worded in a way where you know you truly believe something or you know your paradigm is truly changed when you can explain what you believe. Um, is that pretty much what it is, right? Yeah, so when you can explain what you believe, you can teach someone else what you believe, then you truly know that you've internalized it. Um, and so, yeah, so not merely listeners who hear the word but fail to internalize its meaning which is deluding yourselves, James says. If you're, not, if you're not internalizing the meaning, if you're not doers of the word, he said you're deluding yourself by unsound reasoning contrary to the truth. Ouch. For if anyone only listens to the word without obeying it, he's like a man who looks very carefully at his natural face in a mirror. For once he has looked at himself and gone away, he immediately forgets what he looked like. But he who looks carefully into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and faithfully abides by it, not having become a careless listener who forgets it, but an active doer who obeys, he will be blessed and favored by God in what he does in his life of obedience. So, he's really, he's, yeah, James is getting at the heart which is becoming doers of the word, but he's also saying you need to receive it with a humble spirit. And that's what I'm trying to get at today is just the, the need for humility to become established in our hearts. Um, we can't pretend like we have it all together or um, we know everything. We need to always be teachable. Um, and you'll see never no one in our leadership team is ever going to be... Um, brought into that team with a, with, with a, with a heart of like, I, I don't need to be taught anything, I'm, I'm good. Like a teachable, actually a, uh, a uh, what's the, the word I'm looking for? The, like a, oh my gosh. What is it called when you, ha when you have letters to remember something? An acronym. Yes, right? No, not an acronym. Yeah, an acronym. There we go. Oh my gosh, thank you my brain, um, a funny acronym we have, not we have, but we've heard in New Hampshire is our leaders are fat, right? Faithful, available, teachable. We want fat leaders. So we should have one, maybe fath, faithful, available, teachable, humble. Fath, yeah, that's a little better, more, more acceptable. So, but yeah, I mean, as we grow, as we as we, up, you know, gather more leaders together, as our team uh, continues to grow, as we're establishing more people, we need people that are, that are going to be humble, have a, a realistic self-view, and be able to go to, the go to Paul's teachings, go to 
um, the Word of God and say, maybe I don't have it all together. Let me look at this with fresh eyes. Let me uh, continue to learn and grow and never get to a place where I've just made it and I'm good to go and and um, be really just complacent and happy with, um, yeah, even, I mean, not everyone's called to a leadership position in the church. I'm not saying that. I'm saying leaders as in we're meant to establish other people in the faith. And so even if you're not called to a leadership position in the church, we should all never get to a place where we're, we're good, we're, you know, don't need to learn anymore to continue to stay teachable, continue to stay humble. So, yeah, I just want to emphasize that humility piece. And, um, yeah, so that's all I've got for um, for that piece. And then we're just, yeah, if you want to come up and we'll, we're just been doing some testimonies of how these groups have been changing our lives. And uh, our very own Wesley Pearson will be sharing today. Yeah, I mean, uh, a lot of you know already, but when I was 18, I went right to the mission field. I had felt called to be a missionary since I was 10 years old, had received a very direct word from the Lord. So I left um, my home at 18 and went and served the homeless and addicts in New York City. And then I moved to Brazil and worked with women who prostitute themselves. And then I moved to Haiti and worked with street children and also women who prostitute themselves. And in that journey, I mean, I was a very, I'd grown up in the church, had thought I was very studied. At, when I was in New York, I did a lot of courses and things like that in the ministry. And uh, we talked a lot about humility and being teachable. And, and when I went overseas, uh, my mindset, and this is just to expose the, the lack of understanding that I had, but my mindset was, I want nothing to do with the church. <laughs> Because uh, to me, church in my mind was this is unhealthy, church is unhealthy, they lead people astray. And so I just want to go on the streets and see people get healed and delivered and free. And, and then we'll just, you know, talk and share and disciple together. And no, I don't want to work with any church. Um, and, and really, the, the intent of my heart was not evil. <laughs> I wasn't trying to be evil. I, I really wanted to follow the Lord, but it was I did not understand the, the picture of God's plan through his word. I didn't understand it. No one had taught me that. I'd never heard it before. Um, and so uh, when I came back, and you all know I got very sick, had to come back. The Lord told me to go back to school. I was planted in our Wyndham Church, Wyndham, New Hampshire, and they were doing these groups. And they invited me on to the leadership team, and I was, you know, all questions. Well, I'm not about programs, so what does this book have to do with, you know, why is this book anything better than any other book? And I just had question after question after question because they were all talking it out. Oh, this is great. It's transformed our lives, blah, blah, blah. And I was just like, well, this seems like very arrogant of you guys to think that you have the way and no one else has the way. You know, I just, it was my mindset from what I had been living and experiencing. And then I, but I decided, you know what, I'm going to do this. There's no harm, right? I mean, it's just going to be studying the scriptures. And I was blown away, number one, by my lack of understanding of the big picture because I was what he described in knowing a bunch of scriptures 
singing all the songs from Genesis to, uh, to Revelation with all, you know, I love the word of God. I had so much scripture memorized and spoke it out and, and lived some stuff too, but I was missing the overall picture. And because of that, I was just aiming in all of these random directions and sure those things I'm sure will bear fruit and have they did bear fruit but it was not God's design and through when I just started going through the groups I started to realize oh wow God actually has a very specific plan and duh why wouldn't he <laughs> like oh wh why did I not think of this before and that plan is his church duh like that makes sense look at the scripture I just never saw that before. What I saw was unhealthy church, and I didn't want to be part of that. What I saw was tradition. And so when I started to study what is the actual church, how is the tr what was his design for the church, it was like light bulb, light bulb, light bulb to see, and oh my goodness, my calling is to plant churches. You know, I didn't even want to work with the church for 10 years. And then it was as I became more and more in alignment, I saw this is actually my calling, my gift set is to plant churches. <laughs> That's odd, right? That's a flip the script, you know, Lord changed everything in a moment. And so I really want to encourage everybody. Again, it, it really doesn't matter. Like he was saying, really emphasize, it does not matter how much scripture you know, because <laughs> I knew a lot. Joseph knew a lot. I know we, we knew a lot of scripture but it was this, for me, it was the big picture, the big plan, and that's what these series help you to see is God's plan and then how we fit into it and how we can come into alignment with it, and then we start hitting the target very directly, individually, in my marriage, in my family, and then as a church community because then we're all on the same page. We all understand the big plan and the big design together and what our parts are in it and how to do that. It's very clear. It becomes very clear. Um, and, and before, I, I, if someone said, what's God's plan? I'd say, I don't know. Come back. <laughs> Come back and get his bride. Yeah, like that would be my only answer. I didn't know the details. And now I'm, I absolutely have an understanding of what his plan is because he laid it out in scripture. And in these groups, we discuss that and dig deep. And it's good because when you're discussing with other people, there's that, you know, hey, well, I believe this. Okay, so why do you believe that? Where do you see that in scripture? And a lot of times those follow-up questions make you then go, mm. <laughs> uh, maybe I don't believe that anymore. Maybe I had believe that because someone taught me that or because I, sh I saw that demonstrated and it's actually not even in scripture. And I didn't even realize that before, that that's not even part of what he's saying. And then the light bulb goes on. And it's not this in the groups, because we're all learning together, you don't feel singled out and like, man, I'm nothing <laughs> compared to everybody. No, everybody's getting those light bulb moments together. And so that's then this like deepening of relationship with one another because we're like, whoa, we're understanding this now. Oh my gosh, I'm, I think Kale and Bobby said it when they shared, shedding the baggage, <laughs> the unnecessary weight of things that we've carried with us for so long that isn't necessary anymore. Uh, so we just want to encourage everybody to join a group. You could be as young as 12 years old to join these groups. You don't have to be an adult. 
but you can join these groups. Again, Tuesday night is going to be our first series group. If it's your first time and you want to join, we'll meet on Tuesday nights from 6.30 to 7.30-ish. And then if you've already been in a group, that will be Monday nights. And if you want to sign up for a group because you haven't been or whatever, you, you just talk to one of the leadership team, either uh, Tom or I or Joe or Kate today. You could just talk to one of us. We'll get you signed up, get you a book, and get you locations. Amen? Amen. Yeah, yep. Um, with TBD right now, I think on the locations. I think the only one that's over Zoom is Group Three, right? Yeah. yeah. So yeah, the Group uh, One will be in person uh, location TBD, and we'll announce it as soon as we. Yeah, yeah, in houses. Yeah. Central location, geographic location, based on who's in the group. Um, so. Yeah, I yeah. I mean, is it? Yeah, I guess I I'll share just a little bit of my of my uh, testimony with the the first principles. I'll be quick. Don't worry. But um, just typical, like when I you know growing up in the church a little bit and then leaving and then coming back. I just had the paradigm of you know the the one pastor church model, and your ultimate goal is to like have a position in the church somehow to be recognized, and then and then at that point you can. I could make a difference, right? Like, as soon as I'm recognized as having some sort of position in the church, then uh, then I'll be able to make a difference, and my ministry will matter, right? But these what these groups really teach is that your ministry is your entire life. Like, it's Sunday at 12 a.m. to Saturday night at 11:59. Your life and ordering your life around the church, from your vocation to where you live to um, the friends that you get around, like everything that you're involved in is centralized around um, the church and the gospel, and you're more strategic in your thinking for what you do with your life. It's way more cool <laughs> than just waiting for Sundays and trying to get everyone to notice you. It's like my life throughout my w the week is is what is displaying to the principalities and powers, right? Ephesians 3.10, being the church, like my life work is what I was saying, is displaying uh, the wisdom of God. So it's really encouraging to know that you don't need a position in the church. You don't need to be in full-time full ministry, right? Like everyone's in full-time ministry all the time because you're part of the church. That's it. So that was really awesome. And, the and also being intimidated by by the why do I believe something was really a big piece. Like, I, I, I really just, I wanted to just listen to someone on Sundays, get fed, and then that was it. Like, maybe watch a YouTube video or here throughout the week, but that's not, that's not the way. It's not to what we're called to. We are called to have sound doctrine, which means knowing why we believe something. Um, and it really is not as intimidating as it sounds. Like, we go into the groups and we discuss. The discussion-based model is just wonderful. It's really easy to learn. Um, so, yeah, just as someone who, like, I'm not a big, like, I do not like studying or going to school or anything like that, but these, these, this series is extremely doable and very much 
uh, conducive to anyone. It's really, it can be for anyone, and it will ground you in your faith, and you'll know why you believe something.